You're listening to the Architecture of Brand podcast. To support this podcast, hit the subscribe button. To learn more about the show and for additional resources, visit architectureofbrand.com. Welcome to the first episode of the Architecture of Brand podcast. My name is Joseph Firamonti, and each month I have the opportunity to speak with experts about their expertise and role in building a brand. This includes business experts, various types of creatives, marketers, but in our first episode, we'll be talking with a legal expert. Our guest today is Tony Mealy, and Tony is an intellectual property attorney practicing in Massachusetts. He studied law at George Washington University and has represented many companies, including Pfizer, Xerox, Qualcomm, and Public Consulting Group, just to name a few. Tony is an expert in patent law, copyright law, but today we'll be talking with him about trademark law. We'll be discussing how to protect your brand, how to protect your customers, and when to get an IP attorney involved in your branding process and what that role looks like. Tony, thanks for joining me. Good morning. Thank you for, for inviting me on. Absolutely. So let's start um, with a little bit about your background. How did you get into law, specifically IP? And um, I know that IP attorneys have a different set of uh, standards or uh, they have to do more than a, than a regular attorney, if I'm not mistaken. So could you talk a little bit about your background, how you got into law, maybe uh, some landmark projects or cases that, that you worked on during your career, and a little bit about the difference between your average, let's say, criminal defense attorney and an IP attorney and what they're required to do? Sure. sure. Um, well, I'm, in order to be a lawyer, you have to have, in the United States, you have to have a, a four-year undergrad degree, and then you have to go to law school afterwards. And get your law degree and if you go at night it's four years at night um if you you go to law school full-time during the day it's a three-year process in order to be an ip lawyer you just have to do those things ip meaning intellectual property because there are different types of intellectual property mm -hmm. if you want to be a patent lawyer patent lawyer involves the protection of technology and science related discoveries so in order to be a patent lawyer you have to have a science or technology degree, a four-year degree in a science or technology. And um, my original start into IP was when I went to work for the patent office in the 1980s. And I had to have, and I had a, an undergrad degree in electrical engineering. So I don't, I don't, I know a few attorneys, um, but it's not that many, but it sounds like your, your background is really unique that that engineering component uh, might not be unique to patent attorney so much, but um, that that would be a real asset for the trademark work that you do. And I just want to state for the audience that um, Tony does uh, a whole range of IP services. Uh, but today we want to focus on some of the trademark stuff uh, specifically, and hopefully have you back to talk a little bit more about how brands should be thinking about patents in the future. But that background that you have, um, that engineering background, I know you work with a lot of tech companies. I would imagine that's a real unique and uh, valuable asset for those companies that you, you have that training and that background. It, it's, it, is, um, it helps a lot to have, to have that background. And then I don't have to get involved with, with doing what they're doing, but I have to, it certainly benefits me and them if I understand what they're trying to accomplish. So in focusing on, on the trademark component specifically and the work that you do, tell us a little bit about how brands should be thinking about 
uh, IP law and, and how it relates to things like naming a product, visual marks, uh, what kind of protections are available to them um, and what type of protection would be appropriate for any specific need that the company might be worried about. So when you, when you're, when you're outwardly um, presenting products or services to the market, you're communicating to, to potential consumers. And, and that's where um, trademark and service mark protection. And, and when we talk about service marks, we, we also use the word, we usually were trademarks for service marks and trademarks. And the, the difference between those two is a trademark is for goods, like a product and service marks are for services where you actually provide a service to your customer. And um, a, a trademark or service mark is any word, name, symbol, or device used by a person or a business entity to identify and distinguish those goods or services that they provide. And um, what you're doing with a trademark or service mark is you're protecting the consumer so that the consumer knows what they're getting and where they're getting it from. Okay. So that's the, the logo and the name and the mark. That's, it, it could be for business, it could be for a person, it could be for services. So what's the difference between, is there any difference between a service mark and a trademark uh, visually? Is it the TM versus something else? Oh, okay. So that's another, okay. So you don't have to put a trademark, a TM or an SM on okay. your mark. Um, you don't even have to get a registration to a mark in order to get rights in the United okay. States. You have to what you have to do is you have to use that mark in connection with those goods or services. Okay. And you have to, to take steps to, to police that mark so that, that, that you know that there's a certain quality, you know, where you're getting, you know, where you're getting the product or service from. Um, if you are using a mark and you don't have a registration, you can put, with a superscript like TM next to that name or logo. Um, you could also use SM superscript with, with next to that name or logo. And sometimes you provide a service, but people still use the TM. That's kind of okay. Um, in, in my opinion, I don't, I think, I think um, people know what you're, what you're trying to do. Right. If you get a registration, a federal trademark registration, you, um, you can put the R with a circle mm -hmm. next to the, the, mark, the name or logo. If, you, um, if you're using the mark and you have senior use, you're, you're the first to use the mark for a particular type category of goods, let's say. And, um, and that use um, is significant enough, substantial enough, um, then you have under common law, state common law and federal common law, you have rights so that you can take action against someone else that, that comes in and they start using the same mark or something similar. If you have a registration, if you have a registration, federal registration, um, you get access to the federal courts, um, which there are some advantages to that. The, the federal courts, um, uh, have a little bit uh, have better resources and 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 maybe uh, maybe a, a more substantial body of case law 
that you can draw upon if you have to take action against someone. And, um, and also your protection, um, your rights are become, become national right away when you get the federal registration. So you, you have more leverage against um, someone else trying to use the same mark in, in other states and, and other parts of the country. So we've worked together a couple times over the years, and you've always impressed upon me how important it is to talk to an attorney, an IP lawyer, at the beginning of a branding project, whether that's uh, naming a product, uh, doing the logo, uh, rebranding a company, changing their name uh, specifically, but even the mark and uh, some of the artwork associated with that brand. Tell us a little bit about your reasoning and, and why you're so adamant about companies talking to a lawyer at the beginning of a project, not after creative is done. You know, it, well, there, there, there are two, two main reasons. One is um, it's easy to get in trouble because you step into something that you, you don't want to step into. It's easy to get in a situation where now you, are, you, you may be liable um, uh, or face some um, legal ramifications for, for doing things a certain way. You might be using someone else's intellectual property. Um, and then the other is, uh, if depending upon what you do, you might end up not protecting your own creations as well as you could. You might end up giving them up. You might end up um, doing things in a way where your protection is weak. But the other piece is um, just like you lock the door when you when you leave your your home or your business every night. Um, if you take um, if you form certain habits, you can end up protecting your um, your your creations, and. Um, and, and we call it intellectual property because there, it's, it's a property that's a product of your mind. Um, one thing that uh, one thing that happens with trademarks is sometimes um, someone will file for they'll start using a mark, and if they file for and get a, a federal registration early in the process mm -hmm. with the proper advice from from a trademark lawyer they might be in a position where they could um, prevent other people from popping up using the same name, let's mm -hmm. say in a, in a state that's nearby um, or a couple of states away. When you file for federal registration, it gives you some rights throughout the United States. Mm -hmm. um, so there've been situations where someone uses a trademark and they, have a, they wanna have a web presence and an international presence and it turns out that someone else pops up and now they can't really stop them from using it. Um, when a company is deciding on its corporate culture, its values, its business plan, and, and, then, they're, and then they're starting to craft um, outward manifestations of that, like a slogan or um, a mission statement or, or credo. Um, when the company's at that stage, sometimes they're working with with a professional that um, is also making recommendations for, for, for a logo and for a name for mm -hmm. the company. So it's hard to say at what point you need to make sure a lawyer is involved, but I think it's, it is helpful to get a, a trademark lawyer involved as early as possible in that process because 
once um, as as the as the leaders of that company start to get um, attached to a particular way of of, of um, outwardly appearing to the to to the market, um, it's hard to change their mind later. Right. So if if, in a, if 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 good trademark lawyer is involved in that process earlier, then um, then they can take into account some of the um, some of the ways that they can I, uh, choose um, the name and logo mm -hmm. um, that um, that also um, are good from a trademark law perspective, mm -hmm. uh, and they're not completely mutually exclusive considerations. Um, one of the things that you don't want to do, and I think I think you would agree as a as a brand and design person, one of the things you don't want to do is you don't want to have a name or a logo that um, describes it, just describes the product or service. Mm -hmm. Like if you're selling tissues, um, you don't want to have your trademark being you know tissues. Right. It, it would be generic. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be any 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 value to that. There'd be no way of distinguishing. Um, that you're getting those tissues from your company versus another. Mm -hmm. So uh, from a legal perspective, you could not get that protection because it would be generic and it wouldn't be protectable. Another thing that you want to be careful about as you craft your marketing materials is you might have a name um, such as Kleenex and, um, and Kleenex doesn't mean anything, but now you start advertising everywhere you know don't forget to use your kleenex or don't forget to bring your kleenex and now everybody's equating that word kleenex with tissues and um the more people in their minds start to equate that with what the product is instead of the source of that product now there's a risk that that's going to become generic and that was actually a problem that the kleenex had and then they had to to enter into this campaign to save their mark Xerox had the same problem. Xerox, um, everybody was talking about Xeroxing something. And eventually they, 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 they reversed course. They turned the ship around and they got everybody saying, oh, Xerox brand copy machines um, and photocopy is what you're doing. You're not Xeroxing, you're photocopying. That's fascinating because that's like the holy grail of branding to have that mm -hmm. kind of a strong association where people don't ask for a cola or a soda, they ask for a Coke. And it doesn't matter if they're bringing you a Pepsi or anything else to some degree. Um, that That's you know what brand designers and developers dream of, of having your brand so tightly associated with a product that it's almost indistinguishable. I had never even thought that that could be legally problematic for companies down the road. That's usually what they're fighting to get. Um, yeah. What, what steps? Should a company take to to avoid that? Because uh, well, yeah, I never, it, I never knew that about Xerox. That's really interesting, and I know that you worked with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, what's interesting is um, you you're playing with fire, so to speak, so to speak, when you do stuff like that. I mean, word part the rumors on the street way back in the early '90s were were that um, that word perfect. It was very easy to get word perfect. A lot of places had word perfect on their machines, their computers. And, um, and the rumor was that they wanted that to happen. They wanted everybody to be using word perfect because now everybody liked word perfect. This is before Microsoft kind of rolled out word. And um, it was a word processing software mm -hmm. for, for people that aren't old like me. Um, and 
after everybody was using it, then um, they had some disgruntled employees leave a few companies and then they reported this infringement activity. And then WordPerfect finally started taking legal action. And then all these companies had to buy licenses. But I, I think that the rumor was that they wanted that to happen in the beginning. Um, they wanted people to be able to use to use the software. And now it was, became prolific. Everybody was using it. And then, uh, but they're playing f with fire because, you know, an argument might've been made that that was intentional and therefore there was an implied license that they were giving everybody to use it. Absolutely. And it's a similar concept with trademarks where, you know, you, you want people to be talking about Xeroxing documents, um, but the danger um, is that at some point people don't associate the word Xerox with the quality and the particular source of that machine. Um, you know, it could be some random generic machine from, from anybody and the quality's not there. And then people are using the word Xerox associated with that other machine. And now the consumers aren't protected anymore. In fact, the company's not, Xerox is, the company's not protected anymore either. Um, and, then at, and then at that point, legally, your, your trademark will fall into the public domain because it, it only means the generic item. So, so it's a, it's a challenge. Um, it, it's a challenge to, to get people using the term, but do it in a way that still makes it clear that that's the source of that particular product. So the way you're supposed to do it is you're supposed to say Xerox brand photocopy machine, or Kleenex brand tissues. And uh, so it becomes really clear that, that it's the it's where you're getting it from. That's great advice. And that's, and that's good to know for anybody uh, looking to get that level of association, especially in, in um, any kind of disruptive uh, new product, new service, whatever, something that really is a first of a kind. Um, that's, that's really good to have in mind from the beginning. And so your services are not just setting things up and, and filing the paperwork. It's really helping to navigate the landscape. If there's a mark or a name that somebody is interested mm -hmm. in using, you're able to help them do the research they need to make sure there's not somebody out there who already has laid claim to this that might stop you from using it. Is that, is that accurate and fair to say? That's true. That, that is true. Um, and sometimes, uh, Sometimes there are ways to, to um, some strategies you can use to, to, to still go with what you want to do, mm -hmm. um, but keeping those things in mind when you know about them and you have good, good legal advice backing you up. And that also sounds like it's a really human thing that, you know, we think about at least non-lawyers like myself tend to think about the law as everybody's equal and fairly treated and, and, it, and it feels very technical to somebody who isn't in that space or doesn't have that training. But as you said, sometimes people can just be stubborn and they can decide they don't care that you have a registered trademark. They're just going to do it anyway and fight you in court. And that, you know, how, how deep are your pockets are a factor. But, you know, it, I think even we didn't talk about it, but when this goes to a judge or even even a jury, and I don't know how much trademark goes in front of a jury, but you're still dealing with human beings there too. The mm -hmm. judge has to understand it and get it. You have to educate him, I would imagine. Yes, that's true. Him. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about what that looks like and, uh, and any 
cases that come to mind where uh, didn't go the way you expected, either good or bad? Well, um, there was a case that we handled. We represented a company that um, was was an inventor of one of the first iterations of the no contact thermometer, which is uses an infrared light. You point it towards someone's forehead. Mm -hmm. And it's an Italian company called Technomed. And um, uh, the, the CEO and founder and inventor um, is a, a guy named uh, Franco Bellafemine in uh, Northern Italy. And he invented this thermometer called uh, the Thermofocus. And um, he had a distributor and the distributor decided that they didn't want to sell his product anymore. So they, they, they went with some other um, manufacturer um, in, I believe in China. And they had a, a product that was, had similar functionality and they marketed that product with packaging that looked just like, almost just like the original the thermofocus packaging. So it looked like um, here you have the same distributor going to the same contacts, marketing a product that looked very much like um, with packaging that looked very much like the thermofocus packaging. So um, I don't know what kind of legal advice that the distributor had. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it was the right advice, but we had to, I was representing Technomed, so we had to file um, a case in the Southern District of New York, um, asking the judge to, um, on, a, on, a, on a, a short basis, to issue an injunction and a recall. And, uh, and then that happened. The judge said, um, you know, you have to stop selling these products and you have to basically recall all of the ones you sent to, you know, the Walgreens and the CVSs of the world. Um, and we ended up appealing that to the, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, that, that preliminary injunction, and we ended up succeeding. And they, they ended up recalling the product, and, and we, we succeeded with that. Um, so, so there are, and, and so it was important, like you said, for us to explain to the judge um, what was going on, the significance of that. And uh, it's, it's easier said than done. Sometimes you have to do a good job. And then if, if it turned out that we had to go to trial, then we could have a jury mm -hmm. eventually um, seeing what's going on. And we have to explain you know, why these things are the same, why, cons why consumers might think that they're getting that thermometer from the original thermofocus from, from Technomed versus um, from this other source that in, in, with a product that's different. That kind of leads to another question. Um, you know, for companies starting out, they, they're trying to save as much money as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they'll want to avoid legal fees if they can, but at the same time, that, you know, if they don't feel a need to hire an attorney to work with at the beginning of a process like, like branding or naming your company, the perception, at least in my experience, has been, well, I can't win anyway. Like no matter what I do, it really comes down to who has the money to pay for the legal fees to fight the battle and win if this ends up in court. Is that fair to say on some, to some degree or some level, or are there things average people can and should do to protect well, themselves? Well, it's, it's whoever has the deeper pocket 
can can stay the course and and kind of bully someone else and Mm -hmm. when it comes to hiring lawyers and filing in court so that's so there's some truth to that the if you do things the right way um and you're careful it is not guaranteed but it is possible that you can um steer clear of um costly disputes with other companies so you might spend a little bit on a lawyer and let's say file for and get a trademark registration two things might happen one is your if you if you if you have a good strategy and you do a search your lawyer helps you do a search ahead of time and you don't over over define what you're trying to protect you might end up um, avoiding kind of waking the beast, so to speak, and, and getting some big company mad at you and now you have a big problem. And you might also um, you might also get strong rights where you have a registration where you um, at that point can show competitors um, that are thinking about using the same name or just started to use the same name. Hey, I have this registration. Um, and a lot of times that's enough to get them to stop. It's not a guarantee. If if someone has, um, they're a little stubborn, they don't care, they want to spend the money, maybe they have insurance. It is possible that someone could say, well, no, I don't, I don't want to stop. I want to mm-hmm. continue to use this other name. So, so there's no guarantees, but if you um, spend a little bit of money, my experience has been on average, you end up saving a lot of money later. Um, there's no way to guarantee that you're going to be able to, 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 to fund a big lawsuit. Right. And even if you have millions of dollars of revenue, it, you still don't want to spend your money on, on, on that litigation anyways. Right. Um, but um, the time to protect what you're doing is when you're creating it. When you are succeeding and you have something to lose and you have money later on, if you didn't protect it in the beginning, when you didn't have all that money and that success, you're kind of in trouble and you're trying to catch up. If you are successful later on and you have funds, um, now you can you can kind of enter into that battle with someone else that's that's a little bit bigger. And um, but if you didn't do what you what you needed to do in the beginning, then you'll end up spending later mo- much more money later on um, when you do have that battle. Don't shy away from using a, a mark that that's kind of a like a, a very popular mark that really has a good ring to it or a good buzz to it. But if you do that be, and and you have success, business success at the same time, um, be be aware that your um, people are going to want to try to to do something similar, mm-hmm. and and they're going to like what you're doing and they're going to try to kind of mimic it. So so you have to. Um, be aware that that's going to happen and, uh, and then have a plan plan for that. So what should company leadership expect when, when engaging with a, with an IP attorney on a, on a project, a rebrand, whatever it is, um, what should they be thinking about as they enter that relationship in that process? Uh, and, and what are some good signs they should look for or anything that, might be a red flag. Um, well, the, the, um, I think the best, 
IP lawyers are lawyers that 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 can partner with you, with the client. That and, and I what I mean by that is they they ask questions, they listen, they they try to to understand um, the business and what the goals are, why they're why they're doing what they're doing, and why they're doing it the way they're doing it. Um, and um, and they're gonna they're also gonna ask some some tough questions as to you know, are you using this, this mark, this name or logo? Um, what evidence do you have that you're using it? Um, and um, are you, you know, how did you form your company? Did you, you know, are you, are you, did you form it as a sole proprietorship? Did you form it as, a, as one entity and then you transferred all your stuff to another entity? Um, those are important things because there's some technical aspects where you your your trademark rights um, are owned by the the one who has control over that that name or logo, and if you um, if you don't identify the 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 right legal entity, then you could end up um, um, hurting your rights. So there's some technical stuff. So so the good IP lawyers will ask ask those questions, but they'll start off with. Um, really trying to understand what you're trying to accomplish and understand what you're trying to accomplish um, from a, from a, a design and identity product identity standpoint um, as well, because it's easy for, for some trademark lawyers um, and this applies in other types of intellectual property to say, well, this is what I want you to do. And this is what you have to do to get the strongest IP protection. Mm -hmm. um, that's easier, but it's not necessarily aligned with the best interests of the company. I think a best, better IP lawyer will go, well, what are you trying to accomplish and what do you want to do? And then how do I marry what, what I think as, a, as an IP lawyer with that? How do we comp come up with a compromise that we both get the best of both worlds? Because like, like you said, sometimes, sometimes the business people um, and sometimes the design people um, it, it can vary, but sometimes one of them or both of them will want to use um, a name that, that almost describes exactly what they're selling and um, or becomes that becomes like the word in everybody's mouth when they when they think of they think of smartphones, they think of iPhones, so to speak. And um, and, and the attorney wants to, you know, needs to be, be a way of have a way of um, of, of helping um, the team, including the, the IP attorney, um, come up with a compromise where they still protect the intellectual property, but still, um, you know, get some of the benefits for, for getting everybody to, 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 to use that term and have it in, sounds, you know, at, at the tip of their tongues. It sounds similar to working with a good branding agency that it, there should be a large discovery and, and sometimes that very simple, basic question uh, that just doesn't get asked at the beginning of the project, a good lawyer will ask. And that is, what are you trying to achieve? What are your business right. objectives in engaging with me? Um, it, it just always amazes me how many branding projects happen where that, that simple question is, is, isn't asked. They just have a preconceived notion of what they want or the firm might have a preconceived notion of some canned service they provide and they don't do that discovery and really try to understand the business and help the business. 
Um, and I think that's, that's, you know, part of what's made your career so interesting and successful is you just, you know, in our, in our field, we call it design thinking, but it, it's mm -hmm. really just critical thinking and asking good questions. Yeah, agreed. And I think related to that is, um, you don't want to, you don't want an IP lawyer or any lawyer or any, any professional advising you that's going to tell you what you want to hear. Mm -hmm. You want, you want someone that's going to paint a realistic picture. And so, um, so what I try to do is, is say, okay, start off with, okay, I know you want to do this and here's the best way that I would recommend doing this, you know, whatever it is. Um, okay. With that said, if I don't think it's a good idea at all, I'll tell them, but I don't think it's a good idea. And here's why, mm -hmm. you, you know, this is good. This is the risk you're taking. And, um, and I'm worried that that's, that's not going to work because of whatever. Um, and so, so what I do is I give my advice very clearly, but not, not as a lawyer that's just telling you no all the time, but, but rather a lawyer that's saying, hey, there's a landmine that might be there and here's what might happen. And, um, and even if you do the things I'm telling you to do, there's still, you know, that, that we still might hit that landmine. And I think you want lawyers that are going to tell you that they're going to paint that realistic picture and they're not going to just tell you what you want to hear because there's so many companies out there, you know, maybe that, maybe that, that um, thermal focus story about the thermometer is a good example where, you know, the distributor might've been told what they wanted to hear mm -hmm. and they just went with it and then they got in trouble later. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, on the, on the branding, and design side of things, it's it's really similar. It, there's we're watching out for a lot of the same things that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, just on on a on a marketing side, you're, you're kind of doing something somebody else has already done. And it's not going to be effective. You need to differentiate. Um, but yeah, a asking those tough questions uh, can be political and delicate, but it's it's worth it in the end. And and it's always risk management. You just never can possibly right. see all the possible outcomes. And, and that goes for just about anything. And from what I'm hearing is if a lawyer tells you, yes, there's nothing to worry about, we can do that. They're, they're probably not advising you as well as they should be. Right. They're, they're, they're not authentic. They're not, they're not, they're it's not, not a, a realistic not, portrait of the, of the landscape. Yeah. There's, there's not a, enough integrity in, in the advice they're giving you because um, like you said, it's always risk management. It's always the risk. So what is that risk? If you never right. say what the risk is, then um, then you're not you're not helping your client any. And, and so, the client well, can take the risk. It's up to them. They right. can take whatever risk they want. So I never tell the client you can't do this or you can't do that. But I make sure I tell them what the risk is. Right. Well, that's great. Is there? I know we could we could talk for hours about uh, trademark or, or um, patent law or, or any any one of these things that that you're an expert in. And I would love to have you back to talk about how brands should think about patents and pro protecting that aspect of their IP. Mm -hmm. But um, where can people find you? Oh, uh, well, go, you can Google me. We're a Mealy Law Group. Uh, I'm near Boston, but, um, but I'm online accessible anywhere to anybody. Uh, and uh, my name is Mealy, M-I-E-L-E. -E. So if you put Mealy Law Group into, into Google. Yeah, I'm here if anybody needs me. 
and I'll put those in the show notes. Thanks so much, Tony. We really appreciate your time and your expertise. Thanks. Thanks very much, Joe. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Architecture of Brand podcast. To support this podcast, hit the subscribe button. To learn more about the show and for additional resources, visit architectureofbrand.com.